Before we get into this, uh, I want you to turn to the person next to you and answer this question. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Now, and I don't want like the, you know, the real childish answer, like I wanted to be a fire truck. The, the first borderline realistic answer to that question. What did you want to be when you grew up? Go. All right, that's long enough, I think. Feel free to continue those stories later. Did we get any astronauts? Yes, a few, good. Uh, did we get any sports stars of some variety? Oh, less, okay. What else have we got? Come on, what, embarrass someone next to you. You don't have to share your own one, just someone else's one. What, what have we got? What do people want to be? Yeah, go. Sorry? A mother. A mother. There you go. That's going to be appropriate this morning. Anyone else? Oh, you're all too shy. Teacher. Teacher? Oh, there you go. You had, like, actual aspirations and you followed through on them. Good for you. It's funny that I think there's probably been a bit of a shift generationally. Like if you, I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but people in the more senior age bracket, I feel like there's probably going to be a few more childhood ambitions of being like a cowboy or something like that. And then a bit younger, maybe it was the astronaut. And then maybe a bit younger, it changes again. If you walk into a like year six classroom today, uh, the answers you'll get... Uh, social media influencer and YouTuber. Like, they're the things that kids want to be when they grow up. And, you see, all of these are kind of fantasies, they're, they're different, but they're actually sort of all the same. Because what we all really want is freedom and fame. Now, we want freedom. We want the ability to do whatever we want. We don't want other people controlling our lives. We just want to have fun playing And it'd be nice if we could get paid for it. And we also want fame. Now, not necessarily like mega stardom. We don't necessarily want the whole world to know who we are, but we want someone to know who we are. We want to feel that sense of approval, that acceptance, even if it's just from one person. We want to be known. Now, all of our childhood dreams basically head towards those two things, freedom and fame. Astronauts have them, athletes have them, actors have them, YouTubers have them, and we want them too. Now, of course, as you grow up, well, you start to be a little bit less optimistic, maybe. You start to, you know, acknowledge that people haven't recognised your megastar potential. And so you ditch the fame one first, usually. And then sooner or later, you ditch freedom as well, and you just take whatever job you can get. But the dream is still there. We all still want that freedom and fame. We want freedom and to be known. Some of you are still waiting for NASA to call you up and say, we need you. Some of you are still dreaming of the call up to the Australian men's cricket team. Not me. We all still crave that freedom. We all still want to be known. Well, this morning we're continuing this series looking at the life of Abraham And the life of Abraham is a story about the gospel. You see, when we look at Abraham, we get just a foretaste, a little lick of the spoon that just builds our sense of anticipation for the incredible meal that is to come. You see, Abraham's story helps us see and understand and appreciate God's gracious offer of new life through his son, Jesus. And everything about this story builds up to Jesus. 
But the bit that we're looking at today, well, Abraham actually slips to the background. The spotlight is on two women in Abram's life. And both of these women have this deep desire for freedom and fame. The Sarai, Abram's wife, and Hagar, her slave. And Sarai and Hagar, they're just like us. They both want freedom. They both want to be known. And if you were to take these two and rank them on the freedom and fame spectrum, well, they're worlds apart, aren't they? Because Sarai, uh, she's, she's made it. She's married to the most influential man on the planet at this point. She's wealthy. She's free. Everyone knows her. Everyone loves her. She's got it made. Hagar is a slave. She's got nothing. She's got no freedom. She's a nobody. But friends, the twist in this story that the author wants you to see is that it is Sarai, the free woman, who is truly enslaved, and it's Hagar, the slave woman, who is truly free. So we're going to look at their stories now. We're going to look at Sarai's slavery first, then at Hagar's freedom. And then we're going to see what it is that makes all the difference. And that's, that's where it becomes really helpful for us. Because when we see the difference between these two women, we'll see the kind of freedom that Jesus offers us. And it's not just the freedom to go play and get paid for it. It's not the freedom to do whatever you want. It's the kind of freedom that allows you to be exactly who God created you to be. So we're going to take a look at God's word together. Uh, flick back to chapter 16 if you've got your Bible there. We're kind of spending most of our time there. Uh, but I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us understand his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thanks that you reveal yourself to us. That you reveal your character to us. And we see your love and your faithfulness. And we thank you that even in the Old Testament, even thousands of years before Jesus walked this earth, We see these stories that build our anticipation for Christ's coming. Help us to understand the gospel more as we consider this passage this morning. Because we know this is good for you, good for us, and it brings you glory. And so we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to begin looking at Sarai, the slave, the free woman. Who's actually enslaved. In chapter 16, the very first thing we learn about Sarai is that she has a problem. Do you see it? Verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now, that's a big problem. And it's a big problem on a number of levels. It's a big problem because not once but twice, God has promised Abram that he will have children. And God has staked his whole relationship with Abram on it. In fact, if you remember two weeks ago, God staked his life on these promises. He said, if I fail, I will die. God staked everything on this promise, and yet Sarah has no children. And she's getting very old, and she still has no children. That's a big problem. But it's not Sarah's problem. You see, if Sarah cared about If all Sarah Sarah cared about was that God would prove faithful, then she would take her concerns to God, wouldn't she? 
If, if all she was worried about is that God might look like a liar because he hasn't come good on his promises, she's going to go to God with that problem. But she doesn't go to God. Instead, she turns away from God. She actually rejects God's promises and takes matters into her own hands. Because she's not concerned about God's reputation. She's not worried about God's faithfulness. She's concerned about her freedom and her fame. You see, Sarah's big problem is that she wants kids for herself, for her own sake. She wants to be a mother. And in her mind, that is the one thing she was born to do. She doesn't want to be known for being barren. To her, that's, that's being worthless. She's a failure. Now, she wants what every woman in her culture wanted. She wanted a family for herself. And so she takes matters into her own hands, doesn't she? She ignores God's promises. Clearly, he's forgotten about me. She says in verse 2, the Lord has kept me from having children. See, in her mind, God is getting in the way of her dreams. And so she tries to build a family for herself. That's exactly what she says. Perhaps I can build a family for myself. And so she takes her slave woman, Hagar, and she gives her to her husband. Now that seems very scandalous and outrageous in our culture. It wasn't quite that bad in that culture. In ancient times, forced surrogacy was fairly normal. It was a perfectly legitimate use of a slave woman. Because we need to remember, Hagar, she's not an employee, she's not a servant, she is property. Sarai owns her. She owns Hagar's body. And if Hagar has children, Sarai will own them too. So anyway, that's Sarai's plan. Abram agrees to it. And so Hagar is given to Abram. He sleeps with her. And she gets pregnant. As far as Sarai is concerned, at this point, everything is going perfectly. This is exactly what she wanted. But God is not happy with this plan. And if you read this story, you can actually see that what Sarai has done is exactly what Eve did in the garden. And the author wants to make sure you see this. In fact, the author essentially uses the same script And just replaces Eve's name with Sarai's. You see, did you notice all the parallels with what these two women did? Both are stories of women who entertain the idea that God doesn't want what's best for them. That's what Eve thought. That's what Sarai thought. God doesn't have my best interests at heart. They both think that God is denying them something that they should have. They both see a way that they can get the thing that God doesn't want them to have. And so they both take. They take and then they give to their husbands. Both husbands listen to their wives and take what isn't theirs. Do You see, it's the same story. The details have just been changed, but the the story is the same. It's the same script. They're both being tempted To reject God's good promises. And what this shows us, it shows us what happens when we let our deepest desires 
trump our trust in God's promises. You see, Sarah's problem isn't just that she wanted kids. In fact, that was a good desire for her. It was a good desire because it's something that God had promised her. God had said, I will make Abram's family into a great nation. I will bless you with descendants. Having kids was exactly God's plan for Sarai. But the problem was is that she desired children so much that she let her desire control her. She let her desire become her source of identity so that she couldn't comprehend the thought of life without children. She let that desire make her forget what God had told her didn't matter to her that she was loved by God and that she was blessed by God. Without children, she was nothing. And you see, the tragedy of Sarai's story is that she let her desire for children enslave her. On the outside, she was free, but on the inside, she was a slave to her pursuit of a life of freedom and fame. And friends, it's really easy for us to do what Sarai did. It's so easy for us to place our identity in something other than God. Just think to yourself, do do you ever have the thought, unless I am blank, I'm nothing. Unless I'm a mum, I'm nothing. Unless I'm the smartest kid in my class, I'm nothing. Unless this particular person loves me, I'm nothing. Unless I'm the best in my team, I'm nothing. Unless I'm the life of the party, I'm nothing. Do you ever have that thought? Do you ever see your identity in something other than God? Because the moment you do, the moment you do, you become a slave. You're a slave to your own desires, a slave to your own ambitions, a slave to what other people think of you. And when you're enslaved to your own desires, you'll do exactly what Sarah did. You'll push God and his promises to the side and you'll destroy everyone around you. Because have a look at what Sarai's trail of destruction was. First of all, she destroys her slave girl. I mean, she forces her to sleep with Abram. She then mistreats her when she falls pregnant. She ends up beating her so bad that Hagar runs for her life. And then Sarai turns on her own husband. Have a look at verse 5. She says to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. This is all your fault. Again, a parallel with Genesis 3, isn't there? See, Sarai's desperation for children leads her to destroying the people that she cares most about. And friends, it'll do the same to you. When you anchor your identity In one thing, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's not God, if you anchor your identity in that one thing, you'll destroy anything that threatens that thing. If your self-worth comes from your public reputation, you will clash with people who know you best. The people who see through your reputation and see who you really are. If your self-worth, if your identity comes from your skills, your achievements... You'll despise anyone that is better than you and you'll despise anyone that gets in the way of you achieving more. Do do you see that? You see, at a surface level, Sarai was free, 
But deep down, she was helplessly enslaved. And the irony of the story is that it is her slave girl, Hagar, who finds true freedom. Because when Hagar runs, she's pursued by this mysterious figure in verse 7 called the angel of the Lord. Now, typically the angel of the Lord is a messenger from God. But there's something special about this angel of the Lord. This angel of the Lord finds Sarah while she's running back to her home country. She's on her way back to Egypt, where she comes from. The angel of the Lord meets her at a well and he comforts her. You might think that he might kind of rebuke her, saying, what are you doing? You belong to her. Go back. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he comforts her. He deals with her gently. But then he does tell her to do the unthinkable. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. But the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Now just imagine that. Just imagine she's fleeing from a mistress who is beating her up. And this angel of the Lord says, go back. Go back and submit to her. Go back to the woman who just beat you to within an inch of your life. Go back to the woman who just used you for her own selfish desires. But Hagar does. She goes back. Why would she go back? Why would she do that? Why does Hagar do the seemingly insane thing and give up her freedom to become a slave again? Well, because unlike her mistress, Hagar trusts the God who calls her. Do you see, God promised her that she will have a son. That she will be her son, not Sarai's son. And that this son will, too, become a great nation. With descendants too numerous to count. And so, she takes God at his word. She does exactly what he says. She doesn't do what Sarai did and doubt God's plan. She doesn't think up her own plan that doesn't involve slavery. She's like, ah, I've got a better plan, God. No, no, she doesn't do that. She trusts God and she receives exactly what God promises. She returns to Sarai, just as God had commanded. She has a son and names him Ishmael, just as God had commanded. Ishmael lives in hostility with his half-brother Isaac, which we read about in chapter 21, just as God had commanded. But all of that leads to chapter 21, where Hagar and Ishmael are finally sent away by Abram. They're actually given their freedom, legitimately this time. Not, not running away, given their freedom. They're no longer slaves, no longer nobodies. The free woman, Sarah, she's still a slave. But the slave woman is now free. We've got these two stories of these two women. And the question is, what, it is, what is it that makes the difference between them? What is it? that sets Hagar apart from Sarai? What is it that makes Hagar free in a way that Sarai is not? Now, which one of them is more blessed by God? They're both kind of blessed by God, aren't they? They're both incredibly blessed. They're both, in fact, promised the same thing, descendants too numerous to count. That's the holy grail for a woman in that culture. that's, That's the peak that's, as, that's better than an astronaut. 
descendants too numerous to count is a golden promise. But both of them get promised it, don't they? They, they both receive that same promise. So what is it that makes the difference? They've both experienced the love and kindness of God. Both of them have been blessed. But the difference is that only one of these women can see. Only one of them sees what God has promised them. You see, in verse 13 of chapter 16, Hagar sort of reveals what's happened. Her eyes have been opened and she sees that this angel of the Lord who has been speaking with her is none other than God himself. She gave the name, verse 13, she gave the name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. My friends, this is the thing that actually makes all the difference. Hagar sees the God who sees her. She knows the one who knows her. Her eyes are open to see God's grace to her. Sarah has been promised every blessing imaginable. Along with her husband, she's been promised everything that she could ever want. But all that she can see is the thing that God hasn't given her. Do you see that? All she sees is the children that God hasn't given to her. She sees the thing that God has kept her from having. Now, in reality, God is blessing her, and yet Sarah thinks he's cursing her. She can't see. And so she turns away from God. She becomes a slave. She tries to take the thing that only God can give. And it almost destroys her. It almost destroys everyone around her. But you see, Hagar, she does see. She sees the God who wants to bless her. And so she trusts him. She listens to him. She believes him. And so she receives everything that God promises her. And friends, here is the thing that you need to see. God has blessed each and every one of you. God has blessed every single person in this world. God has sent Jesus to die for every man and woman and child on this planet. But most people are still slaves. And the only way they'll find freedom is if they actually see God's grace, if they acknowledge, if they realise what God has done for them. They need their eyes to be opened. Friends, the only way that you can be truly free The only way that you can live a life without fear of what people think of you, the only way that you can live a life without being worried that you haven't done what you were supposed to, the only way that you can live a life without being crippled by your own expectations or by other people's expectations, the only way that you can live a life that is truly free is if God opens your eyes to see his grace. If you don't see it, you'll live your whole life trying to take what only God can give. You'll try to be good enough. You'll try to earn a reputation that makes your life a life worth living. You'll try to achieve things that make you a worthwhile person. You'll try to be good enough. You'll try to belong. You'll try to be accepted. And you'll be a slave. If you don't see God's If you don't see 
that he has promised you everything you could ever imagine through his son. You'll live your whole life a slave. But if you see the God who sees you, if you know the God who knows you, the God who cares for you, who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, if you see that God wants to bless you with his presence, if you see that God wants you to belong to him, to enjoy him forever, if you see that, then you'll be truly free. You'll be living life exactly as it was meant to be lived. Enjoying the love and care and grace of the God who knows you. Let me pray. Now, Father, open our eyes to see your grace to us. Lord, would you show us the depths of your love and kindness that by sending your Son to the cross in our place, you showed us that you want us to be blessed in ways that we can't imagine. That you want us to belong to you, the creator of all things, the one who is perfectly good. That you want us to enjoy your rich love forever. That you want us to worship you. To be in your presence always. To delight in being your people. Lord, this is true freedom and we ask that you would help us to see it this morning. Help us to know that there is nothing else in this life that can satisfy us. Lord, show us your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.